Well, we've been through this church series that shows a people gathered and called, elected, being the people of God. And we've studied and heard and been taught the last several months about what this people of God is supposed to look like. What even is the church? That's what we've been in. And I want to address this morning what might be, I think, uh, somewhat of an elephant in the room for us on this journey, and that's what are we to do about the unbeliever? What are we to do about the outsider? The, the Bible uses terms outsider synonymous with unholy, synonymous with unbeliever, unbelieving. You don't see the word lost. We've kind of used that word more than the Bible does, but a, a stranger, an outsider, an unbeliever, an unbelieving one, unholy one, one not a part of the people of God, not one having faith. What do we do with them, with this love and teachability and accountability that we have? What's our movement? What's our direction? What's our action? What's our directive from God to be? towards the unbeliever and outsider. So I know already in my mind I'm thinking of all the potholes that I can fall in this morning. But I hope that you will hear the word and not how I fumbled this. That you'll hear what the word says and trust it. So will you pray with me? Father, we uh, feel so very inadequate to do this this morning. But I pray that you will be clear Keep me out of the way. Keep me from fumbling this and that your spirit would be clear to your people this morning and that <clears throat> any unbelieving outsider, stranger, one that has not placed his faith in you alone via the cross and Jesus and his atonement, that they would fall on their face and worship you because of what they see happening between God and his people and that what convicts us will convict them and what convicts them will convict us. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to look at a lot of, lot of Scripture this morning. I know Ben always says that, and I'm not trying to outdo him, I promise. But I, I, I feel like we have to if we're going to get this right. And so I may move pretty quickly, especially here at the first. If you feel like flipping and you feel like going, if you get lost in the shuffle, stop and just listen. Okay? But if you want to go with me, I think it's best if you try and go with me in, in some of these passages. We're going to start... In the, book of Num in the book of Leviticus, then we're going to move quickly to Numbers. All I want to do is give us a snapshot of how God interacts, what God says to the outsider, the stranger, the people outside the people of God in the Old Testament, how he interacted and what he said. And we're going to look at, number one, let me just give you a, a, a view of where we're going. Number one, we're going to say, we're going to answer the question, what is our stance? What is our position to be towards the unbeliever? the outsider. I'm going to use the word outsider and I'm going to use that word throughout the sermon and just know when I say outsider, think unbelieving one, unholy one, outside the people, unfaithful. All right? So what do we do with this outsider? What is our stance to the outsider? Number one. Number two, what is our prime objective? What's our main objective? What has God given us as an objective towards them? We have a position and a stance towards them. We have a prime directive. We have an objective towards them. We have a primary tool or means in reaching them. And then what does that mean for us? That's where we're going. So what is our stance? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these pretty much uh, machine gun. But look at Leviticus 19.33. Uh, 19.33. We're looking at what does God say about the outsider. In the Old Testament, you need to remember clearly that we're in the Old Testament here. And what is happening is God has gathered his people and called his people and placed his blessing on his people. And then what do they do with the outsider? Leviticus 19, verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. Now, look at Leviticus 25, 35. Just a few pages over. In this first Leviticus passage in 19.3, we see that we are to be hospitable in our stance towards the outsider. If they're with you, let them come in. Make room for them. Be hospitable. They, you do no wrong. You don't do them wrong because they're outside of the people. 
You bring them in, and they enjoy the same good deeds as we enjoy as the people of God. Do you see that? And then look at Leviticus um, 25, 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Here's the, the assumption here. He's talking about your brother. If your brother becomes poor and, and is needy, you don't treat him any worse than you would a sojourner and a stranger. And what we learn from that is you treat your brother pretty good because we're to treat the sojourner and the one who is coming alongside of us, interested in what the people of God are, interested in asking questions about, wanting to be in the people of God. This is what you do to the outsider. You treat them like a brother. You treat them with good deeds, and you treat them when they have need. You have a leaning towards them of hospitality and accommodation. We accommodate them when they're in need. You don't treat your brother any worse than you do a stranger. And that's to say you treat stranger pretty good. You treat an outsider with good intention, with goodwill, and you do good to them. So there's this hospitable accommodating stance that we have. Look at Numbers 9. Just the next, next book over. Look at Numbers uh, chapter 9, verse 14. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 9, verse 14. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statutes and the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute for both the sojourner and the for the native. The same statutes for the people of God, they are invited to live under the same principles. When they hear us speak and how we live and our principles and how we raise our children, they're invited to do the very same thing. They're invited to come in and live under God's instructions. They're invited to live like we live. They're encouraged and invited. If you want to come and be a part of what we do, come. See the stance? You can live among us. You can be among us. You can, you can follow our statutes and principles. You are more than welcome. You are, we're making room for you. There's accommodation and hospitality towards the outsider. Now look at uh, one more in Numbers chapter 15, verse 26. This is kind of a tricky one, talking about unintentional sin. What if uh, the people accidentally forget unintentionally to do what the Lord says or they accidentally do some, some sin that they didn't intend and they find themselves having forgotten to do something that the Lord commanded? And this is what he says in verse 25. And the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel and they shall be forgiven because it was a mistake. And they have brought their offering and a food offering to the Lord and their sin offering before the Lord for their mistake. Verse 26, And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven and the stranger who sojourns among you because the whole population was involved in the mistake. Here's the picture here. We're not talking about atonement for sin. We're not talking about complete atonement for sin. We're saying that these strangers, they get to receive the blessings. They get to see grace and the daily forgiveness and patience and grace that we have with each other. And God says, I'm going to forgive you for unintentional things. And then we say that same thing to the outsider. We show them grace. They get to receive the same blessings. They get to receive blessings from the people of God. Kind of peripheral blessings of being with God's people. You get to see God. But here's the catch. I know you may be thinking, well, that doesn't sound like what we're supposed to be doing with the outsider. That, that sounds like they get all the same privileges. Watch this. Here, here, this is the key. And, and you're going to need this for later in the sermon. Look at Numbers, back up to Numbers chapter 1. Watch what this outsider does. This is before Jesus. Watch what happens to the outsider. Chapter 1, verse 51. Of numbers. When the tabernacle is set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall, shed, shall, shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. So they get to be with the people of God. They get a snapshot of his grace, a snapshot of his forgiveness. They get the snapshot of blessings and protection and provision. But when it comes to coming near God, they can't be put to death. They can be around the people of God and among them. But when it comes to being near God... And knowing him and in his presence, they're to be killed. Sounds odd, but 
Remember this for later. Remember this for later. Look at Numbers 3. Just flip over a couple chapters. 3.38. He says it again. Uh, Verse 10, actually. 3, verse 10. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. You can be with the people of God, but you can't come near God. You can't be in his presence. And in verse 38 of the same chapter... Those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons guarding the sanctuary itself to protect the people of Israel. And any outsider who came near was to be put to death, whether enemy or friend, whether sojourner or enemy. Anybody from outside the people of God that were to come near God, come near the tabernacle, were to be killed. Just remember that picture. Keep that picture in your head. That the outsider, we're to be hospitable, we're to be accommodating, we're to be welcoming and inviting them to be a part and have a view of our God in our worship. But here in the Old Testament, in this part of the story of the gospel, they're to be put to death if they come near him. Sounds crazy. Why would they be able to be with the people of God, but then when they want to come near him, they're killed? It sounds crazy. But that's our stance. We learn that early on in Scripture, is that our stance is to be hospitable, inviting, accommodating. God is putting himself on display here through a specific people. And the outsider is not allowed to the tabernacle or they die. We are an accommodating people. And there is a real accommodation that takes place because the people of God made room for these sojourners. When there was no room, they made room for people who were wanted to come and walk on the journey with them and follow God. They just couldn't be near God. They couldn't come near him. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I want you to see accommodation in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. I want you to see accommodation here in this passage. We are accommodating the seen and the unseen for the outsider. We accommodate what we see. And what we can be seen, and we accommodate the unseen. And this is what I mean by that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Good Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason of your hope. Do it with gentleness and respect and a good conscience. We are to accommodate the outsider's questions. We accommodate them with space, physical space. We accommodate their interest in who we are. We accommodate their questions about our hope. We accommodate their questions about what they see. And we accommodate their questions about the unseen. We give them a defense of our hope. Do you see that? There's an accommodation That's our directive. We're giving that directive through Peter, by God, to be accommodating, to be hospitable, to be ready. Not on the attack. Listen, the opposite of this is on campaigning for men's souls. You hear that? The opposite of being hospitable and accommodating and inviting to put God on display is to be on campaign for men's souls. And we have not been given the directive to campaign for men's souls. We have not been given the directive to fill heaven. That's not our work. Our work is to be the people of God and to be a people that are hospitable and accommodating and ready to give a defense for this hope. Let's keep, let's keep reading. Peter is not inferring in this passage. Listen, when you, when you see this, be ready to give a defense. I know what some of you may be thinking, that you ought to be on the attack. And he says defense. Know that he's talking about defense here. And he's not talking and inferring that we are to indiscriminately just proclaim. Remember, God's love is not an ooey-gooey love for, for the whole world. It's a specific love, available and effective for the world, but for his people. And Peter is not saying we just indiscriminately proclaim to anyone and give time to everyone and just do whatever you can do to get as many in. That's not what he's saying here. He said, be ready. Be ready to give a defense. Be ready to give a defense for the reason and you do it with gentleness and you do it with respect and a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You're careful about who you talk to, what you say, and how you say it. You think through with wisdom, and we'll see that in a minute in another passage. You think through it with wisdom. How we talk to the outsider and what we say. 
Be ready. Be considerate. Be appropriate. Do good with gentleness and respect to those. By the work of the Spirit, we beg the Father will drag them as we give a hope. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. I told you we're going to a lot of passages. Look at Galatians chapter 6. I want you to see the accommodating, hospitable, doing good to the outsider. But I want you to see an interesting thing here in Galatians chapter 6. It's the same reason why Peter does not say indiscriminately proclaim to everyone you're careful and considerate with how you defend. You don't go on the attack. We're not campaigning for men's souls and we're not trying to fill heaven. That's God's job. He's building his church. Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 9 and 10. <clears throat> this is in the context of preaching and being taught God's word. He says, not let us, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Look at that again. Look at, look at that word. So then, in verse 10, as we have opportunity, that word, that phrase means it invades everything. As you have opportunity, corporately, do good to everyone. And he means everyone. In the house, outside the house. Do good to everyone. As you have opportunity, invades the water cooler. As you have opportunity, invades the corporate worship. As you have opportunity, invades your cell phone and your email. As you have opportunity, invades the classroom. As you have opportunity, invades everything. Do good to everyone. All the time. That's what the people of God do as they have opportunity. They are welcoming and hospitable and doing good to everyone. But then watch what he says. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. There is a priority he gives here to the household of faith. There is priority. Priority to the household of faith. We do good to everyone. But listen to this. Listen. Not at the expense of the bride. We do good to everyone as we have opportunity, but not at the expense of the corporate body. We do good to everyone. We think about those unbelieving. We compel them. We, we, we beg God for their soul. We pray for them. We do good to them as we have any opportunity, but not at the expense of God's people. Not at, not at the expense of what the bride is to be and look like. Do you see that? There's, there's, a, there's a priority here. And we do not indiscriminately just do good to everyone at the expense of God's people. There's an order here that he gives us. And we're to be hospitable and accommodating and inviting and compelling, but not at the expense of God's people. Priority to the household of faith. We're not accommodating at the expense of God's people. Compelling, yes. Urgent, yes. I, I've heard, this is what I hear, and I want to be careful, but I, I'm just trying to tell you what I've heard uh, over almost 20 years of being in ministry. And I, I hear things like, the, we exist for those that aren't here yet from church leadership. I hear from the champion of church growth in the state of Texas, um, I, I, I spend my time on leaders and lost people, and I don't have room for anybody else. I, I spend my time on leaders and lost people, but I don't have room for anybody else. So I hear this, this movement towards lost people at the expense of the bride. We don't exist for those that aren't here yet. We exist for his worship. We exist to put him on display. We exist for his glory and his namesake among all nations. That's why we exist, hospitable and accommodating and begging and compelling the unbeliever to come with us. There's not an expense for the, uh, at the, of the bride. And so I hear those things, and I know that that's what, where I come from, and, I, and that's the sayings that are, I'm hearing in my head and it doesn't reconcile with what God's people have been called to do and the directive we've been given. Not at the expense of the bride. We are considerate and we are appropriate. Okay, we're hospitable, we're accommodating, and we are considerate and appropriate with our worship. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Verse 5 and 6. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves wisely. Conduct yourselves wisely towards who? Towards the outsider, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know 
how you ought to answer each person. Here again, we are wise and considerate and appropriate and accommodating and hospitable, and we're careful with who we speak to and how long we speak to them and what we say, never compromising the bride or the gospel. Do you see it? We are giving an answer and a defense, and we are considerate and appropriate. He's not saying here when he says conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders and make the best use of time. He's not saying when you gather as the people of God, do it in such a way that the outsider will like it. Do you see that? Uh, some people would, would have used this passage to say, well, we don't do those things because it's offensive. We don't have the Lord's Supper every week because people don't understand. We don't have songs. We, have, we don't have songs that are scripturally, necessarily scripturally based or scripturally true. We want people to sing things they like. If I were to use this much scripture and not tell a funny story, they wouldn't listen. Those, those kind of things where the lost, the unbeliever, wins at the expense of the bride. And the Bible's not exposed. And truth isn't proclaimed among God's people. Do you see how this can be at the expense of God's people if we are indiscriminately proclaiming and not considerate with, about our time together, about our time with them? about what we say and why. He's not talking about style, band style. He's not talking about teaching style or preaching style. He's saying be careful with what you say and when you say it. We are always welcoming and answering for those. We are answering this. We're not answering for their condition. Listen to this. We're not answering for their condition or their situation. We are answering for who we are and who God is and what he says. That's what we are ready to defend. Who we are, who he is, and what he says. That's what we should be working on. That's what you spend your time on. So as you have opportunity, you give a good defense. You give a good answer. This is who we are. I know who the people of God are. I know who he is, and I know what he says. And you'll see in a minute, that will draw people. That will draw them. We are considerate, we are appropriate. Our focus and our directive becomes not a campaign for men's souls. Not to fill up heaven. Not to get as many and convince as many as we can. That's not our directive. Our directive becomes worship. That's our directive. To be the people of God worshiping. At the water cooler, on the cell phone, on the email, we worship. We worship at the grocery store. We worship with our families. We worship in small group. We worship corporately. We worship, and people, the outsider, sees our worship, and they become worshipers. Do you see that? That's our directive, worship. Our directive is their worship. We're after their worship for our God. Do you see that? It's, it's a little different than we are after their soul so we can fill heaven. That's different. We are after their worship. God said to his people, you let the stranger in. You let them in. You let them see the blessings that I give to my people. But in the Old Testament, they can't come near me. And that's going to change. And it's going to be good news why it changes in just a minute. But our directive is to welcome them in so they can see our worship and be a part of the blessings and see the promises that we enjoy. Not easy, but good. Our prime objective in being hospitable and in accommodating and being considerate, the reason why we're that way is for worship. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? She said, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem it's the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus blows it open. Now worship is for the people of God and the outsider who comes to worship Him in spirit and in truth. No more tabernacle. Jesus blows it open, and God is not seeking any longer one nation. That's good news. No longer just one people, no longer just one nation, no longer just one race, but now Jesus has blown it open with his sacrifice and his atonement. And we can say to the outsider today, this is good news. 
This is God, his bride, his rightness and his goodness and his grace and his promises and his love are not just for one people anymore, not just for one race. Come in, hear, worship with us, walk with us, be with us, taste and see that he's good and worship and repent and be baptized and eat this supper with us. That's what we say to the outsider. Come in to this people. Don't come as individual. Come to a people. You're not coming to me. You're not coming to a prayer. You're coming to a people and to a God. Come. Be a part of this. It's not just for one people anymore. He's going to call men from four winds. Nation upon nation will come. And that's what our directive is. Come worship. Our stance, hospitable, accommodating. Our directive, come worship. Worship him. See the interaction. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to read along with me on this one. Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to see how this is the picture of Jesus breaking it open, okay, to not just one nation and how this is good news for the outsider today because of Jesus. Now, this is going to be a long passage. Stay with me. Ephesians chapter 2. This is an easy read. It's good stuff. Starting in verse 12, remember that you, speaking to the Gentiles, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of a promise, having no hope without a God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, once who were far off, have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus. No longer do you have to stay away from the tabernacle. The tabernacle is now in God's people. You can come near via the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh and dividing the wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Verse 17, he came and preached to peace, preached peace to you who were far off, who couldn't come to the tabernacle, who couldn't come near God, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father now. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles, prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and in him the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now watch verse 22. In him, uh, look, look at this in, in verse 22. Notice what's being built. Notice these three things. What's being built through the blood of Christ, who it's being built for, and how it's being built. Okay? Just watch those three things in verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God now, because of Jesus, has blown it open to the nations the gospel goes out. It's for all peoples. There will be people from all races that he will draw to himself. And what is he doing? He's building a people. He's building a dwelling place. Do you see that? No more tabernacle. No more tabernacle. God dwells in the hearts of the people of God. No more tabernacle. And when you come now to the people of God, you don't get your head cut off. When you come to this new tabernacle, you're welcomed. Come and die. Not physically. Don't come to get your head cut off, but come to die to yourself. Take up your cross daily. Come to the people of God. He is building a new tabernacle, and it's called the people of God. He dwells in the hearts of men. And so that's the cool thing. And, and it's being built not for to fill up heaven. It's being built not so that we can... Be great in number. It's not being built for us to say, look what God is doing. It's not being built for our encouragement. It's not being built for us. It's being built for God. And the church is not being built for the lost. It's being built for Him. A body, a dwelling place for God. And how is this thing being built? Is it being built by really creative, good-looking young preachers? 
No. Is it being built by slick talk and good programmings and good marketing? Some would think that. That's the, that's the trick. That's the slippery slope that we fall under when we think that we're, it's up to us to, to fill up heaven. When it's up to us to convince men, we're on a campaign for men's souls. That's where we go. We go to what we know. And what we know, especially in America, is, man, make it slick. Make it good. Make it quick. And that is not our directive. Our directive is to say, world, unbelieving, come worship. Come hear how we interact with our God. Because he's building a people for himself, not for you, not for us. He's building a people for himself. And how is he doing it? Look at the last three words of that passage. By the Spirit. He's doing it. He's the one building his church, not us. Our stance is accommodating and hospitable and inviting. Our directive is their worship. We want more worship of God. The primary tool in this, what is the primary tool? I want us to, to see that the primary tool, and how do we do this? How does God add to, number? what are we supposed to do? Surely we've got to do something, right? Surely we have to do something, and our prime directive is preaching and teaching the Word. Preaching and teaching the Word. Just a few more passages. Just listen to this one, 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. <clears throat> Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Turn to Deuteronomy 4, verse 5 through 8. I want you to see just two or three more passages here. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Notice that God is saying in this passage, I'm teaching. There is preaching and teaching going on. Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. See, I have taught you statues and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of peoples who, when they say, when they hear all these statues, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, and, and the rules and so righteous as all this law that I set before you today, as we preach and as we teach and as we gain wisdom and understanding and as week by week more, we're more wrecked and really the picture of the gospel gets painted more clearly. Each week we gather more pe megapixels for the camera. Y'all know what those are? I I'm not real smart, but I've learned that what megapixels are, the more megapixels I think, the clearer the picture sometimes. You get more megapixels. We're gathering more megapixels each week. We get more wisdom and understanding as we learn, as the story unfolds more for us weekly. We get more wisdom and understanding, and people go, you you're getting more wisdom and understanding. And, and the more you get the more I get, and I'm not in the church. And I'm, I'm hearing this wisdom, and, and the, the picture is getting clearer for me because I hear how you are taught. Do you see that? There's this infectious wisdom and understanding that we have. And they say, wow, I want that. I want that wisdom and understanding that you have. How do you get it? And now God's people keep and do his word and people are astonished by the perfection of the law. That's what this passage says. They see God's people listening to and doing what he says and they see his law as righteous and good. And today, people hear us. Hear the word of God and do the word of God and they're amazed at how perfect Jesus is and how he's perfected the law. They're amazed at how he's perfected the law. They're amazed at a perfect Jesus, a people who worship a perfect Jesus now. Because the more we come together, the more we hear preaching and teaching, the more we're admonished, the more we understand, the more wisdom we have about our Jesus. And they're attracted to it. Remember uh, the passages. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14. I want you, I want to just remember the, these number passages that we read a while ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I, I know... I hope that if you haven't engaged in anything else, you'll watch this. This is the coolest thing to me, that <clears throat> this picture in light of Deuteronomy of God's people keeping and doing his word and people come near it and people want to know more about it. 
Remember this, the picture in the Old Testament of these people being welcomed in, but they can't go near God. They're welcome to be among God's people, but they, they can't go to the tabernacle or they die. See that picture of somebody walking in, an outsider? Just think of it. An outsider walks up, maybe not knowing, or maybe he thinks, I'm going to get near God, I'm going to call their bluff, and he walks in and flat on his face if one of the priests don't get to him first and kill him. Just, just think of that. Walking near God's presence and then done. Sorry, drag him off. You see that? Now, now watch this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, don't let this confuse you. This, this passage uh, is Paul speaking primarily of how the, the, the gift of teaching and preaching, prophecy, is better than the gift of tongues. That, that the teaching and preaching gift is the, is the greatest gift, is better than just speaking in tongues. He, he's kind of building a case for prophecy is where it's at. Get that. If you don't have prophecy and you speak in the tongue, you're making no sense. If you don't have good teaching and preaching, but you're just speaking in tongues, you're going to confuse people. You see that? And so that's what he's saying here. But look in verse 3 of chapter 14, and listen to what he says prophecy is. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. That's what preaching does. Preaching and teaching this gospel story again and again, unfolding it. It builds you up. It builds me up. It encourages us, and it consoles us. In conviction, that's what it is. This building up, encouraging, consoling gospel that we need every week. And we are built up and encouraged and consoled in the midst of our conviction. The more we encounter it, and the more it unfolds before us. Now, look at this, verse 23. Listen to what he says here. Arguing that if people come in and hear you speaking in tongues and nobody's prophesying, they're going to go away confused. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say, will, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy, listen, read, if all preach and teach and engage the preaching and teaching, if all of you, Cross Point Fellowship, will engage the preaching and teaching and be undone by it and be encouraged and consoled and built up by the preaching and teaching and the prophecy, if you will do that, an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. And he is called to account by all. Okay, read, read this picture. When he says convicted by all, called to account by all, the outsider comes in and he sees us interacting with our God, convicted by this gospel again, convicted by the truth that it brings us, convicted by the life that it brings us. And they see this interaction of God and his people and they are convicted. They are convicted by what we're convicted over. They're convicted when they see us yield and submit to this gospel and this truth. When they see that, they are convicted. Read on. The secrets of his heart, this is talking about the outsider, and when they come in and see this and they see us convicted, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. See that picture of him coming to the tabernacle and bam, dying. And now, because of Jesus, because of this God, self-sacrificing and self-giving God, coming and blowing it open to all people, now we get to say to the outsider, come hear what convicts us. Come hear what we hear every week. Come hear what we talk about in small group. Come hear what I talk about with my family. You're welcome in my home. There's room for you. I'm going to accommodate you to hear. And each week, you come and hear what convicts us and what undoes us, and it will undo them. When they see and hear us yielding and submitting and being convicted by the truth and by the Spirit through preaching and teaching. Do you see it? This is why it doesn't make sense for us to gather a special event, bring in a tent, hire a special preacher and teacher and special band, to say the things that they need to hear. We don't spend ourselves for the outsider to build an event and spend ourselves so that we can say the things that they need to hear, the gospel, the good news. What we say is, come hear what we need. You come hear what I need. Come hear what gives me life. 
What come here, what, what kills me every week and raises me up. You come here and you'll fall down and you'll be alive, not dead. There's no special event. It's you come here, what God is doing in me and my people. And you come here prophecy and you see other people get convicted and you see the picture of the story that's unfolding that week and you'll be convicted by the Spirit. So we don't have any special direction. We don't have any assault or campaign for their soul. We don't have a special event. We say, come. You see the difference? Come. Come be with us. There's room for you. If there's not, we'll make one. If there's no chairs, we'll get more. That's what we say to them. Come. We will make room for you. And you hear what we need. There's nothing special here for you. This is for God. You hear what God's doing in his people. Just listen. Hear what we have to say. Come to our small group. So it's okay if you have a neighbor who says, what are all the cars doing at y'all's house? Hey, come. Come come hear it. It's good. It's, you know what it is? It's us being convicted by the gospel every week. You can say that. It's, oh, it's us just being undone and put back together every week as families. You want to come hear that? We'd love for you to come. Be food. Hang out. Bring the kids. And that is what we do with the unbeliever and the outsider. Come. Come to my home and eat. It's what we do for our neighbor. They get to see God interacting with his people and are convicted by it. <clears throat> Last point. I'm just going to show you two more scriptures and then we're done, I promise. So what, what does that leave for us? If we don't have this campaign or assault or if we don't have this compelling desire and if it's not an indiscriminate proclamation to try and get as many people as we can, how are they going to come? Will they really come? Will they really come in? If we're not intentional to maybe lean their direction even at the expense of the bride, will they come? Look at Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 through 47. If we have a campaign, these next two passages are going to be our campaign. If we have a silver bullet program, these next two passages are our program. For the outsider, for the unbeliever, for the lost. If, if there's any campaign to have, if there's any program to have, this is it <clears throat> right here. In Acts 2, I guess I should turn there. Verse 42 of Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, number one, to the fellowship, number two, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, speaking of the people of God, and many wonders and signs were being done through them, through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And watch this. Watch what happens. They have favor with all the people. God's people being intent on one thing. Being the people of God. You be the people of God. You have all things in common. You devote yourselves primarily to teaching and preaching of this gospel. You fellowship. You share food. You share table. You share homes. You praise. You worship. You fellowship. And what happens? People see it. All the people here indicates all people in town have favor. Look with you. Not... not Every single one is going to have favor, but there's going to be this favor that's extended to certain people. The outsider will go, man, some are going to smell it as life, and some are going to smell it as death, but some will smell it as life. Not for us to determine, but some. There are people in the city, like he told Paul, there's people, there's my people in the city, and they're going to smell you being the people of God, and they're going to come. If there's any program, it's be the people of God. Now, well, watch this. I'm not done with this passage. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And look what happens. The Lord added to their number day by day. 
You be the people of God, and God says, I'll bring the people. I'll add to your number. You let me worry about growth, and you worry about being my people. You concern yourselves with your worship and the worship of others and the outsider. You be hospitable. You be accommodating to the ones I bring you. You be careful to protect the bride, and you invite those who I bring you, who smell it and say, I want in. And you be careful about who you let in, and you be wise with your speech among them. So you don't confuse them. But you don't let wolves in either. Are you starting to see how if, if our program and our campaign, if there's any, is to be the people of God, why we need discipline? Why, why we can't allow root of bitterness to stay? Because what we're putting on display is evangelism. Being the people of God is our evangelism. Being the people of God to the world is how he brings them and adds to the number. Francis Schaeffer said this, the church exists to serve the world. And what he means by that, he goes on to explain that. The church exists to serve the world. And this is how, I love how he explains that. God has given the world the right to examine the church. God has given the world the right to examine his church, his people. And they know and will know that he is true by how the church loves each other. They self-sacrifice. They self-give. They're accountable, taught, led, and loving. Sound familiar? They will know that he is true by how we are his people. They've given, God's given the world the right, the outside the right to examine us. And what will they find? Will they find disorder, bitterness, backbiting? What will they find? Do you see how this is important that we have leadership and we are God's designed for organization and God's designed for service and deacons and elders? Do you see the, the importance for that now? The bride is to be beautiful. And if she's going to be beautiful, people will say, I like that bride. I want to be a part of that. Last passage, Zechariah 8. Turn there if you can. If you can't find it, it's kind of hard to find. Right there in the middle of your Bible. Zechariah, God says through this prophet, he says something here that's so cool to me. It's just, just a beautiful picture. Zechariah 8, verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come. Hear that. Peoples will come. Even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Watch this. People of God, listen. Verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from ten nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of the Jews, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. There's people in Hunt County. There's people in our cities who will come to us and take a hold of the robe of the people of God and say, let me go with you. And our stance, our directive is to say, come on. Let's go. Walk. Make the journey. Worship. Hear this preaching and this teaching. That's evangelism. He brings the people. He adds to the number. So that's our stance to the unbeliever. Our program, if there's any... Be the people of God as directed in Scripture. That's our directive. Be the people of God. Worship. Lean with hospitality towards the outsider. Invite them. Invite them to hear the promises, the scandalous grace, the protection, the accountability. Hear the teaching. See God's design and leadership and see the surgical, difficult, specific, beautiful love in which we are loved. The greatest love that we can have for the world is to show them the people of God. Beautiful, disciplined, wrecked, convicted, loving, hurting, consoled, built up, and encouraged by preaching. That's what they want to see. That's what they need to see. They don't need to hear that it's easy. They just need to hear that it's true. They need to see that it's true in us. And our hope, I hope you hear me say this, my, my heart is that there would be more <clears throat> that would enjoy this supper with him. 
And there would be more families that would enjoy this supper that would be baptized in. And that's where Ben's going the next two weeks. We are a supping people and we are a baptized people. And our hope is that more would come, that he would draw them. We beg God, God, bring more. Bring us more to be hospitable, accommodating, straight shooting, truth telling. Give us the patience and the grace and the money <laughs> to bring them in. Whether that be adopted children or people we've known all of, our, all of our lives that don't have faith. Give us the grace, the patience, and the time to bring them in so they can sup with us and be baptized in to this people. Father, I pray that we would um, hear your word clearly today, that we would be um, teachable and submissive into what you have to say. God, I am more and more uh, eager maybe even anxious that we be who we are supposed to be because of my love for the outsider, the unbelieving. God, I pray that we would love them with your love and that we would realize that the greatest love, God, help me to remember that the greatest love that I can have for them is to be the church and to be it rightly and to worship rightly and to conduct myself wisely and in business and conduct myself wisely with my time and my money so that you are put on display and your people and your love is put on display and your rightness and your goodness is put on display. Help us to be good to the household of faith and to everyone else. God, my prayer, I pray along with uh, a dead preacher, a dead guy that I've read before and I pray with him and I say, God, save your elect and then some more. Save, save the ones that you're going to save and then some more. That's what we beg. Do it through us and do it through us being the people that you have called us to be. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to try my best to get something to the small group leaders tonight and uh, for you to go over with your groups this week. Um, just know that the most loving thing we can do for the unbeliever is be the true church, is to be true. And I hope that you will this week, dads, single parents, all families here, that you will work hard at being true this week and know that that will draw people. Work hard at being true and faithful and work hard at being the true and faithful, worshiping rightly people of God. And he will send people that will take hold of our robe and say, we want to go with you. And we say, come on. And that's Caddo Mills for hospitality. Come on. <laughs> <clears throat> that's our stance. So um, I'm thankful for your attendance this morning. I know it was long. Uh, thank you for making the journey.